in worship and the word. sovereign over all things. God, you know the comings and the goings. You know what our week will hold. You know, God, what what is before us as this world continues to go, God. As this world continues to spin, as evil continues to grow. Father, you know how Countries will dissolve, wars will take place. Yes, Father. Tragedies will come, the earth will shake, the mountains will erupt. Mm-hmm. God, you know. You know the day, the hour, you know the times, you know how much longer this country has. Yes. So, God, because you know all of that, we can trust and hope in you. Yeah. That it doesn't matter what we see around us. That our salvation is sure in you. That this world is not our home. God, we are thankful for your grace and for your mercy. Yes, Father. And for your provision and for your healing, God. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray that you would heal this country. Heal this world. And the sickness that is among us, God. Father, we are grateful for one another and for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God here on this earth. God, we lift up those, Father, who are persecuted for your name. God, strengthen your church. Strengthen your body. Father, those that worship you under threat and fear, Lord. We thank you that this earthly fear is not of your world. It is not of your kingdom. And we do not have to submit to it in the name of Jesus. So God, I pray that you would raise up leaders. Father, raise up people who would point to you Father, in countries that would take their life for doing so. Father, for those that are jailed in your name today, Father, we ask for strength and for comfort, and if it be your will, that they would be released in the name of Jesus, Father. God, as we come together today, God, I pray that there would be no hindrance to your word going forth. God, I thank you that your word does not come back void. Yes. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
valley will never take my song. Find me in the desert, holding on to you for now. The desert will never take my song. For the desert will never take my song.
Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you are all that we need. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've begun this work in us, God. That it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. That, Father, your word says that you first loved us. Father, we are reminded, Lord, that, God, you were pleased to send forth your Son into this world. That whoever would believeth upon him and receive him, Father, would be reconciled back to you. That, Jesus, you came not into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you do not abandon us. That you continue to pursue us. To reveal yourself to us. That you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. And oh, how I pray that today hardened hearts would be softened. Darkened hearts would become enlightened. That eyes would be open and deaf ears would hear and that souls would respond to the call to salvation that is found only in Christ and in Christ alone. May we not be a people that just hold a form of religion and deny your transforming power, but God, may we be a people who have been transformed from darkness into light we would truly live this abundant life that is only found in Christ. Not clinging to the temporal things that are fading away, but clinging to Christ, the eternal hope. So God, have your way among us this morning as we open up your word. Father, we need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring, a fresh infilling Give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness for your name's sake. We thank you, Jesus, that you yourself said that you have to go away so that he would come. That he is our comforter, that he is our teacher, that he is our counselor. So Holy Spirit, have your way among us and in us and through us. Teach us, correct us, discipline us. Oh God, above all. Lord, help us not to grieve you by the lives that we live. But may we honor you in all that we say and do. May the reading of your word today not fall upon hardened hearts or Father's soil that would only be ripe for the word to be choked out or the snatched out, but may the soil be good soil. The seed would take root and fertile ground and produce lasting fruit in our lives. He who has ears to hear, let him hear today, Father, and respond in obedience. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To resolve the second R, we've had three R's that's been held before us for the past months. Repentance, resolve, and to release. We've continuing going through what we have two or three more Sundays that we're meeting this year 
And I hope that my prayer has been that over the year that we are maturing, that we're growing, that we're seeking Him ever, even more than what we sought after Him last year, last week, last month, last hour, that there's a continual growth that's taking place in us. Remember, the Christian life is not a perfect life. It's not The goal is not perfection, That as, as if one day you would say, I've arrived. No, we're not perfected until we are with Christ, but we are in Christ if we're Christians, and we ought to be growing because our lives are being transformed. The old is being made new. And our hope is in Christ. Our eyes have been opened. We have been born again and born again of the Spirit. So we are to be walking differently, talking differently, thinking differently, acting differently because of Christ in us. And we don't go around, you know, humdrumming, discouraged, defeated, oppressed, shamed, condemned. That's not the Christian life. He is pleased to not only reveal Himself to us through Jesus, but to draw us to Him through Jesus, and then rebirth us in the Spirit, because we're born again. We then receive the Holy Spirit, God Himself in us, giving us the power to live out what He's calling us to. He doesn't just just set the standard and then leave us and abandon us to try to figure it out. No, He equips us. When we think about the Ten Commandments, and we've talked about this before, and Doreen and I in our study this week, we talked about it as well, that the commandments were given to show us our need for a Savior. In and of ourselves, we can never fulfill the law of God. But the law had to be given so that we understand the need for God and the understanding of the condition we are in apart from God. Listen, apart from Christ, apart from God, we're in rebellion towards Him. We've heard it a lot, especially over this past year. If not more. <laughs> but over the past year, I've been talking a lot about it. I've been reminding us that it's not God stiff-arming us. We're stiff-arming God. We're not to live in rebellion towards God any longer as Christians. If you're not a Christian, then that is your condition. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how perfect you're trying to, to do and to do and to do and to do, no matter what, no matter how, Anything, if you are not in Christ, you are in rebellion towards God. A Christian is not actively in rebellion towards God. Does it mean that a Christian won't sin? No, a Christian will sin, but when a Christian sins, there is that conviction that, oh, because you know good and well where you're at, how you're thinking, what you're saying. And then you, as a Christian, repent. It's a lifestyle. So it's not a one-time prayer. It's a lifestyle. 
Like, ah, it's that sincere regret and remorse. It's, oh, God, forgive me. It's not that shame, game, condemned place that we like to run to and get comfortable with and dress ourselves with. No. You throw it off. That's why I love when the Bible says throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. The Bible gives us hope. The Bible gives us the assurance that God is for us and not against us. That we can boldly come before him. That we can honor him. That we know that he is for us and not against us. We know that he disciplines those that he loves. We know that we have to endure in order to mature. And so we respond differently. But for those who are in rebellion towards him, those who just hold a form of religion, no, no, they make him out to be the issue. And you know why? You know how? Just look at the nature of even in your own time in your life where you just have a religious mindset. And the religious run from God. They never would run to God. They may speak of God, but they keep him at a distance. (laughs) And how sad. Because they do not experience the fullness of what God has for them. Again, the enemy doesn't mind you just talking about God. (laughs) What he minds is if you truly are in relationship with him. That's why we as Christians, we must continue. No matter how much we're being beaten down by this world, no matter what we're enduring through life, we keep pressing in, we keep pursuing Christ. So to resolve, I love the definition, to decide firmly on a course of action and to make up one's mind. To decide firmly on a course of action and to make up one's mind. You've already understand repentance, resolve. As you're looking forward to the new year, as you get up from this place and you go out into the world again, to resolve, to make up your mind, to decide firmly on a course of action. Jesus himself says, if you're going to follow me, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. No relationship should be put above me, he says. Nothing should be your goal and your aim if I haven't called you to it. A lot of people are going to start thinking about making New Year's resolutions. And a lot of people, by doing that, will not consult or counsel with God. They will consult with themselves, with their feelings, with their emotions, with their lack. And they will start deciding steps and plans and things to do. And in the end, oh, they may accomplish them. I told you before, these three R's, the world can put these into practice and benefit from them. But apart from God, they have nothing. Just the temporalness of this life. They may live good lives on this earth, but that's all they have apart because they're apart from Christ. They're in rebellion to God. They're saying, God, I've got this. But Christians, we are dependent upon God. Jesus said, the call of a disciple, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow me. Like he came into this world, 
And don't forget what the Word of God tells us. That we love darkness more than we love light. That's the nature of the human being. Sinners, apart from Christ, we love darkness. Jesus, the light of the world. Oh, we ought not to shrink back from the light. We ought to run into it. And so when I love the word of God says to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. And don't remain dark. That's why I've always encouraged you. True freedom comes from true transparency. First before God and then before man. There's nothing that you have to hide. There's no reason to endure mental anguish and torment because you're hiding sin from God and from others. There's no need to have hidden sin thinking you're getting away with it. And there's certainly no need to just live in sin, calling yourself a Christian and just expecting everyone else to go along with it and not say anything to you. No, 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 no. As Christians, we are filled with the Spirit of God in relationship, in communion with Christ and reconciled to God. We are whole. And if we break that because of our choices, the door is always open. His arms are always open. His call to repentance is always there. He knows we are still behind enemy lines. But he gives us the hope that greater is in us than he that is in this world. Jesus is our hope, you all. And oh, how I pray that you're in love with Jesus. Oh, how I pray that you're drawing close to Jesus. That your desire is Christ. (laughs) That you're longing to be matured and to grow You're longing to be held accountable. You're longing to to bear his image to a dying world. You're longing to fan the flame within so that you're burning bright in darkness. But if you're not getting up every day and going throughout your day resolving, see, you're resolving one or another. You're either deciding on a firm course of action, making up your mind to follow the flesh, or you're deciding firmly on a course of action, making up your mind to follow the spirit. The Bible says that life and death are set before you. Choose life. I love how he gives us the answer. I love how he also exposes the fruit of the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians. It's not like he sets us on this path and we're dumbfounded. He leaves us ignorant. No, no, no. He's very clear. You have been born again. You you have my spirit in you. Abide in me. Remain in me. This world is not your home. So don't cling so tightly to the things here. You're here today, gone tomorrow. (laughs) You were not meant for the temporalness of life. So when you hear this, how are you responding? Because you ought to respond to truth that you're hearing. 
as you ought to respond to deception when you hear it. You have to be on guard 24-7. You have to think upon what you're thinking upon because what you're thinking upon is who you're becoming. So are you thinking upon Christ? Are you thinking upon truth? Are you applying truth? And I keep telling us... The world is getting darker. <laughs> the level of deception is rising like we've never seen before, and it's only going to get worse. Do, have, have we really given thought that the ground is being laid out <laughs> for the Antichrist to step out <laughs> from the shadows? And he will deceive... The lost, they will look to put their hope in Him. And when you hear scriptures that tells us how people are going to fall away and follow doctrines of demons, like do we just hear this and then we just get up and we just go about our day living a temporal life? Oh, how I pray that we're not. Because you're not going to find any hope in the temporalness. So I keep challenging you all. What are you doing throughout the day? How are you living throughout the day? Not to put shame and condemnation and, oh, I just can't do it and all this. And we do these weird things. All I hear is how I don't measure up. All I hear is that I don't do things right. And you just thinking that and saying that to yourself is you focusing on yourself. And I've always encouraged you, if you're ever going to be in agreement with the enemy or yourself, be in agreement with that. Yes, I will always do things wrong. Yes, I can never do things right. Yes, I will constantly fail. Oh, thank you for reminding me how much more I need Jesus. See, we got to get beyond just thinking of ourselves and making it about Poor little me, myself, and I. And making it about Jesus. Yes. I will choose to do this, 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 and that. And none of that is good for me. And so, Father, I thank you that you've given me the ability to understand and have wisdom and discernment to put into practice truth that I may not cling to all of that, but I may cling to you. How are you living your life? How are you going about your day today? Resolving, making up your mind, looking at, I've encouraged you to get a journal, write out how you're spending your time daily, weekly, for a month, however long you feel you need to. Again, to oh, make you aware of how the enemy has lured you. Remember, you're up against the enemy, you're up against the world system, and you're up against your flesh. And if you go to the book of Galatians and you look at the works of the flesh, if you find yourself consistently living this out, consistently, it's your pattern, it is your nature, it is who you are, this is what's coming forth from your life, and there's no repentance and there's no resolving, and there's no releasing, something's wrong. Yes, you ought to be concerned. 
Because the Bible is clear. This is not how a Christian ought to be living. Will a Christian trip up and fall into it? Yes, but they get up and they restore. We're to be people of reconciliation. We're to be people of wholeness. We don't stay stuck in a pattern. Choosing to rebel against the holy God. And then somehow thinking that it's justified, that it's okay to remain that way. Oh no, look over and over and over and over in scripture. When Whenever that list is given, what is usually the next line that you find over and over in scripture? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not man saying that. That's God saying it. He's a holy God. And then he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. This is the Christian life. And you're never going to master it or be perfect until you're with him. But this is what's being produced. And you realize... Now that fruit is to be lasting. It just doesn't sprout forth and then wither away. No, it's fruit that lasts. It's what's to be coming forth. It's what we should be pursuing him to grow us. God, I got an issue with this in my life. Father, in my life, I've been grieving you. And the beauty is when we get to that point, it's not something that, that we, we become aware of ourselves. It's just the working of the Holy Spirit within us. Like, hey, Rob, that's not the way to go. That's not the way to keep doing. That's not the way to this or to that or to this. And he's doing it because of his loving kindness. Like, no, 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 my son, you're here with me. Submit yourself. Submit this to me. Give it to me. Die to this so that you may live. See, again, his love for us doesn't keep us at arm length. No, he draws us into himself because of his great love for us. And that's why I keep encouraging us. We cannot let the enemy, the world system, or even our own flesh teach us about God. No, no, no. We have to know him from himself, in his word, abiding in him, understanding what it means to be in his presence. To live a life that's honoring him. Like, are you engaged daily with him? Because it's the work that he has begun in you. Listen to these scriptures as I've shared them over the year with us. Philippians 4, 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 8. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He is, he will help me. I will look triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. 
All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Oh God, how I pray that you're getting up every day and deciding firmly, making up your mind, resolving that I'm going to run to win. Not in my own strength. No, by Christ who strengthens me. Again, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. I know how Doreen talks to herself, but I don't know how the rest of you do. Because I hear her. And I say, every time I walk by her bedroom door, I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Doreen. (laughs) She's like, oh, Lord. No, I do, because that's what she always says. But that's what, that's what I guess what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes you just got to pull yourself in front of the mirror. Sometimes you just got to sit yourself down. Sometimes you got to just say, wait a minute. No, 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 Father, that's not how I should be talking. Okay, God. No, 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 that's not what... No, God, help me. I mean, we're, 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 we're in relationship with Him. Again, apart from Him, we only know how to live for ourselves. So that's why we're not shocked. When we fall away, when we find ourselves wandering back to the pig pen, back to our vomit, we're not shocked. No one is pointing their finger going, oh, look, look, there goes Carrie again. And oh, how could Carrie do that? How could she be such a failure? No, no one does that because it could be any of us. It could be any of us at any moment, at any time. If we're only looking out for ourselves. So we don't point our finger, we we don't talk in disgust, or we don't we don't stiff arm people, but the reality is, is that we have to be honest with people. No, Carrie, you shouldn't be going that way. If Carrie decides to keep going to that way, that's her choice. But at least we loved her enough to say, hey, wait a minute, because we know ultimately who loves her more than us. God, and guess what God is doing? Every single day, every time Carrie goes to put her hands to it, put her eyes towards it, or open her mouth to say it, God is there. The Holy Spirit is saying, Carrie, no. As he would with any of us. So we have to be in communion with him. We have to be in relationship with each other. That's why he's given us the church, the community of believers to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. And to remind us, hey, have you resolved to run, to win today? Did we get up today? Listen, we all can resolve to sit and think about how horrible our life is our circumstances, our sad stories, our bad choices. Oh God, when's it going to end? I mean, we could do, that would be our choice, but that's not winning. Because again, we know as we think, so we go. So if we're only thinking thoughts that will only bring forth destruction, or bad fruit, then we know what's going to come from it. Nothing. And then when we see ourselves in it, again, it's not this, oh, shame. No, we've got to get up and go. Uh, and the hardest thing is to get up. 
The hardest thing is to resolve and to say, no, I'm going to win today because Christ is strengthening me. The hardest thing because you are at war with yourself, with the world system, and with the enemy. But you have got to get up and you've got to praise God. You've got to live and not die. You got to say, no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how horrible the situation, no matter how all the unresolved issues, no matter how depressed my heart and my mind is, I've got to get up. (laughs) And I have to take the steps to live. Sometimes I can run. Sometimes there's seasons where my soul is discouraged, but I've got to get up. You've got to get up, and we've got to move forward step by step by step. You've heard me say this before, but I was talking to someone the other day. I said, I'm not going to take camp up and make a camp and light a fire and sit in the midst of Bad choices because this is what you want to do. I will walk through it with you. (laughs) But we can't take camp in the midst of it. We can't just sit and belabor it over and over and over again. Because once you're keen, once you're aware to the enemy's tactics and to this old flesh, its tactics... And to the world system and its tactics of warfare. When the Bible says to be innocent as a dove, but as wise as a serpent. Once you realize how it works to keep you down. Then you begin to engage. And the truth of God's word on how you can get up and win. You got to engage in warfare, you all. And if you're not, you're going to remain defeated. But it's our choice then. It's our choice. All along, the Holy Spirit is saying, what are you doing there? Why are you there? Like, get up and come to me. And never leave us nor forsake us. Galatians 5, 24 through 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and they crucified them there. Since we are living by what? The Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just some parts, but in every part. You've got to get up each day. You've got to go throughout your day. You've got to moment by moment resolve, make up your mind, decide firmly on the course of action to live a life with your old nature nailed to His cross. So when the old nature wants to come a-creeping, you remind it where it's at. Now to His cross, it is crucified there that you are a new man, that you are a new woman. You've been born again of the Spirit. Now if you're not born again, then come to Christ. This just can't be a mantra. This just can't be religious works that you're trying to do to gain approval. 
No, but truly born again people, they, they've been awakened to that which is new. And the old cannot sustain them, will not sustain them. That's why they must resolve. Romans 6, 11 through 12. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. You have to resolve. You have to make up your mind. Each and every single day, throughout your day. No, wait a minute. This is in rebellion. And yet, though it may feel good to me, yet though in and of myself, I can justify why I should do it and act on and this and this and this and that. We better get to a place, again, if we're a Christian, because the Holy Spirit is there convicting you, reminding you, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) You better get to a place, like Romans 6 says here, consider myself dead to the power of sin. And I've been made alive by the power of God. Again, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. But oh, how I pray that you are. Oh, how I pray that you are speaking life over you. That you, that you are allowing life to come from you. That you're not identifying with what's behind you. And that you're not comfortable with just, it is what it is, it's just who I am. I've told you all along, one of the worst phrases I hate to hear, even in myself, or when I hear others say it, well, I'm just human. As if that gives you the right to continue in your rebellion. Oh yes, you are just human. But if you're a Christian... That should not be your nature. I'm a Christian. I've been born again. My new nature is of the Spirit. I'm not identifying with that which used to hold me. I'm human. I'm still in my body. I still have all these things and desires and wants and needs and rebellion in me. But I'm living as if I've crucified that to his cross. And by faith, I'm believing I am a new man. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I will not allow the enemy have the rule and the reign in my life. He may forge the weapon against me, but it's not going to prosper. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. See, if I haven't matured to the place that I'm speaking that way, then all I'm going to do is rely on me, myself, and I to get through every single day when things are presented before me or, or, or desires are flaring up within me. And I'm just catering to all of that. And then what a horrible existence To have one foot in the church and one foot out, tormented. (laughs) For what? It's not how you should be living. It's not how you should be living. Oh, Christ. He is your all and all. 
Remember, you're not clinging to the darkness anymore. You're not loving the darkness anymore. Sometimes I listen to people talk and, you know, I, I just go, wow. Sometimes the Lord tells me, speak. Other time, the majority of the time, he says, no, just watch. Just listen and pray for them because they're deceived. And it's what I've always told you. The greatest deception is not that you're deceiving others. It's that you've deceived yourself into believing something that's just not right. But yet you've built your life on this deception. And somehow you've deceived yourself. And you're not right with God. You're not right with others. Because you're not right with yourself. And the lies and the fruit of rebellion is just boom. And for what? For what? Like when you realize you're here today and you're gone tomorrow. Your breath can be taken from you. And then what? You're going to stand before a holy God and what on earth are you going to say? What? Either you're known by him or you're not. Either he is your all in all or he's not. Again, it's not just the one little prayer that you prayed, your church attendance, your church giving, your, your, your this or your that. No, or is your life marked by Christ? Are you bearing his image? Are you going forth resolving each day to advance his kingdom? I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm not moving in my kingdom. No, I am in, I've been engrafted into his kingdom. The choices and the decisions I have to make have to honor him. I had to make a hard decision this week. Knowing good and well, it could possibly cause me my livelihood. I had to make it and I had to do it. I wrestled with it. But I said, God, I just have to honor you. And if I lose everything, well then it's okay. I'll be out on the streets and I'll have more time to preach your gospel. <laughs> you see, we're living in a world system where Christianity is being pushed out. And it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. And that's what I've tried to been telling us for the past few years. Listen... <laughs> We can't keep doing church as we've done it because we're, 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 oh, we've entered into a whole new world. Overnight, it's changed. And it keeps changing moment by moment by moment by moment. In every change that's happening, Christianity, the truth, the gospel is being pushed further and further out of society. 
even within ministries and even within churches, the religious institution, not the church and of herself, but the religious institution within ministries, within just lives of people who call themselves Christians, but they want to toe the line because they don't want to upset people. I heard this preacher preaching downtown last night in Orlando, and he was standing there and he was addressing the crowd of people wanting to get into the bars and how they were heckling him and carrying on with him, but he just kept speaking truth to them. And I said, oh God, keep raising up. These are young people, man. Keep raising up this generation that has endured all of the junk. They've, been, they've lived lives. They've been consumed by the flesh. But by the power of God, they've been set free. And God is not calling them to sit idly by. He's raising them up and putting them out on the streets. Throughout our nation. Throughout the world. There is a move. I don't know if you're following it. But I've been following it over the past year and a half. And they're not really even connected. That's what's even so more amazing about it. And some of the languages I can't even understand, but I get what they're saying because they're on that street corner and they're proclaiming the truth. All around the earth, the gospel is going forth. So yet though Christianity is being pushed out, we're going nowhere until the Lord calls us out. The world can try to push us out. Your job can tell you, Nope, unless you cave in to what we say, you're out. There's going to become a line sooner or later that you're going to have to answer for as a Christian. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be 10 years from now. But trust me when I tell you, you are up against all things that are at war with God's kingdom. And you think that we can just continue to be Christians as we've been Christians? Just going through the motions, <laughs> caught up in this, caught up in that. Oh, no, no, no. We have to go deep, you all. We have to allow our roots to get deep. We've got to get grounded. We've got to start speaking. We've got to start first speaking to ourselves. And then we've got to start loving and communicating the gospel to others. And just stop sitting idly by, just letting things happen. We've got to start taking the ground and the authority of our homes, of our communities, of our city, of our nation, and of the world. We got to start acting as people who are kingdom minded, advancing his kingdom by his power for his glory. It's all for him. And you're going to have to start making hard decisions. Am I going to shut off social media and sit down and open my Bible? Am I going to spend time in prayer? Am I going to cultivate a life that as he has given me? The promptings to do that, am I going to do it? Am I going to go deeper with my worship? Like, it's time. The form of religion that we have held on to has to be shattered off of us because it's not going to carry us through what's upon this earth and what's coming. Again, the world is setting itself up to receive the Antichrist. The world is not setting itself up to receive Christ. 
But in all of this, all of this is not taking God by surprise because God is sovereign. It's already ordained. It's already done. Oh, there will become, there will come a day and a time when those eastern skies will part and Jesus will return. And that's the hope of the church. So I just want to encourage us and to keep growing, keep pressing in. Resolve. Make up your mind. Decide firmly on a course of action that you're going to follow Christ no matter the cost. No matter what. What can mere man do to me? I'd rather fear God than fear man. I'd rather not allow my desires to keep ruling me and taunting me and dragging me through the mud. No, no, no. Get to a place, resolve, decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind that you are secured in Christ, that you belong to Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit. You've been engrafted, you've been adopted into his family. And now how then shall I live? So that each and every single day as you're going through your day, you're, you're understanding that you are behind enemy lines and there's a new way in which you are to engage. I mean, you could choose to remain where you've been, but trust me, it's not going to bring forth anything of value. It's only going to keep stripping you down, making you settle for the scraps and all along, the Holy Spirit is going, what are you doing there? It's not what I have for you. It's not where you belong. Take your place at the table in which I've prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. I've got you. You're mine. This is not your battle you are to go forth and to bear my image. So abide in me, remain in me, and all that you say and do, honor me. Here's some scriptures before we take communion that I do want to share with you to encourage you, to, that I hope that you're persevering. And again, I, I pray that you're taking these scriptures, you're sitting down with them, you're opening up your Bible, you're allowing the Holy Spirit, and as I've said to you, never just open up your Bible and jump into it. No, you ought to be praying as you open it that you, that you understand that, Holy Spirit, I need you to teach me, to give me the revelation and the understanding and the wisdom of your holy word so that I may live a holy life as you are empowering me. And so listen to these scriptures Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm just going to read them. We're not going to flip to them today. Carrie will capture them. They'll be in the notes. But 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God, I love this, is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you, I love this, by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And remember, this hope that you're hearing throughout these scriptures is the hope that is found in Christ. And the Bible tells us our hope in Christ will never disappoint us. Never disappoint us. No matter the outcome of the circumstance, or my hope is not that my circumstances will change. My hope is in Christ. And trials are there to work within us perseverance and perseverance character and character of hope. And again, that hope is in Christ. Isaiah 40 verse 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 39 verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Titus 2 verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. And what is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to resolve. We have to make up our mind. We have to decide firmly on a course of action. We are waiting for His return. And in our waiting, we're not lazy. In our waiting, we're not to be just existing. No, we are to be living. Living. I know, life isn't easy. Even Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. You see, we have to resolve. We have to make up our mind. We have to decide firmly on the course of action that when you get up each day and as you're going through your day, things are going to happen. You're going to get that bad call. Things are going to take place that doesn't benefit, quote unquote, you. But how are you responding? You've been around me long enough. Either he's God or he's not. He can't be God when it's right for us. Like, okay, yeah, I feel good today. So he's God. But now I feel bad. Now my life is this, or I get this report, or I get that report, or this good is going on in my job, or that's going on in my family, or this is happening, or, oh my goodness, this tragedy just struck. And all of a sudden, we don't know our God. (laughs) See, we have to get up and know our God each and every single day. And we have to understand that we're waiting. Like, we're already dead. If you're in Christ, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. And dead people have no rights. you got to get to a place where you stop thinking of yourself. You gotta grow to this place where you're thinking of others before you're thinking of yourself. That's what how Christ came to live. He's our example. We're not above him not to love them. 
we're not above Him that we're, we want everyone else to serve us. Oh, no, no, no. We ought to be fighting for the position to serve. And to serve with gladness. And to give freely. What am I clinging to it for? It's here today and gone tomorrow. What am I clinging to? Well, we have to have security. Yeah, we're not to be ignorant. Yes, say, do that which is right. Have an inheritance left for your children and your grandchildren. But do not put your hope in the inheritance. Do not put your hope in your savings. Do not put your hopes in your skill or your labor. Do not put your hopes into this relationship or that relationship because all of it could be wiped out in an instant. It's a powerful scene in the Avengers when Thanos snaps his thumb or his finger and everything is gone. In an instant. In an instant. So our hope, the blessed hope, it's the returning of our King. That we're living for Him. That we're acknowledging Him. But above all, that we're loving Him. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And I love this. Be constant in prayer. How's your prayer life? Not the soulish prayers. Not the prayers birthed out of... Oh, that really are not even connected to the truth of God's word, but prayer, communion, listening to God, responding to God, asking of God, but not driven by the flesh, but in relationship with God. Because you know Him. You're not trying to twist his arms to do. You're not creating him to be something that he's not. But that you're trusting him. You're communing with him. You're talking with him. You're interceding for others. Like prayer. Being constant prayer. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 through 18. For this light momentarily affliction... Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension or comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Revelation 22 verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. And oh, isn't that comforting? Behold, I'm coming soon. And all of this is going to pass away. And those who are in Christ are going to inherit eternity with no more suffering, no more crying, no more, you know, anything, sickness, disease. No, it's glorious, you all. <laughs> And oh, how I pray that you see it that way. Romans 8, Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And finally, in Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, we heard this last week, but this I call to mind. I resolve. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, this is God, you all. This is the creator of all things. Saying to us, child, come. I've made a way. That you would not remain in rebellion towards me. I have shown you my love. See, we weren't created for his wrath. Oh, his wrath is coming. His wrath is stored up and it is coming. We were created for his love. And we can wrap yourself up in that. When you understand that, oh God, it's your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. Because you don't want me to remain in rebellion towards you. And I love myself, I will. But because of your love, you draw me. It's your loving kindness. It is your free gift of salvation. It's the Holy Spirit. It's you in me that helps me to get up each day and go throughout my day resolving. Giving me the ability with a sound mind, with the mind of Christ to make decisions and choices. To decide firmly on a course of action. To set my feet to go a different way. To take my hands off what it ought not to be, do- to, to be touching. To take my eyes off of what I ought not to be gazing on. To remove myself from what I ought not to be engaged with. And then that leads into releasing. Letting things, letting people, relationship. That which is hindering you. Because you're choosing to allow it to hinder you. Go. And say, God, it's all you. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. You first loved me. Lord, teach me to love you. We're going to have communion now, and then we're going to walk, finish walking through some scriptures. Second Samuel is where we're heading. But Norma's going to pass out the communion. Please hold the elements until we are ready to take it together. And allow the song to draw you to a place of reflection. And if needed, repentance. As it's sung over you. And then we'll take the elements.
Carrie, would you pray over the bread? Father, we do this today because you commanded us to. Your word says, do this in remembrance of me. So we hold this wafer or whatever you're holding. God, it's a symbol of the broken body of your son. The ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. So may we not take for granted the punishment that you took, Jesus. Because this represents that punishment. But it had to be paid so that we could have eternal life. So we thank you for that and we honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take the bread. Gilda, would you pray over the cup? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that has covered us, that has washed us clean. Yes, Lord. May we never forget um, the price that was paid. Yes. May we never forget, even though we cannot understand the depths of it, how much you love us. Help us to love you more. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Second Samuel is where we're heading. Picking up with David, Second Samuel 15, verse 23, and then through chapter 16. We left last week, and, and as we're seeing with King David, his choices that he's made, the consequences of these choices. He was even told by the prophet when the prophet came to him as God led the prophet to David to basically expose David's sin. David repented, he turned, but he also received the word from the Lord that there's consequences for your choices. There could be consequences for your choices. It doesn't make God a bad God, but it is the understanding that your choices, your choosing, your, your decisions are just not affecting you. They affect others. And they may have lifelong effects on you as you're enduring through this world. But again, that doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign or that you're not forgiven. David was forgiven the consequences still remained. And it started to unravel the life of David and his family. But the great thing is, is that his throne was firmly established. And it's through the throne of David that Christ comes. And Christ ultimately has the eternal throne. There is no wrong or no sin in Christ. He is fully God, fully man. He is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Praise be to God for that. 
But we're seeing David, and I want you to see how David responds today, you all. There's a lesson that we can learn in what we're about to read, as it is every time you read the Word of God. It's captured for us. It's meant for us to, to chew on, to meditate upon, and then to act upon it. That we're not just to be hearers of the Word, we're to be doers of the Word. And I want you to pay attention today on how David responds to the consequences. Absalom, his son, remember last week, he's out for David's throne. He was reconciled. Remember, he he killed his brother. His brother raped his sister. Absalom took it into his own hands to kill the brother because the king, David, he did not have his son executed as he should have. So Absalom took it in his hands to do it a couple years later, and then Absalom fled, and then ultimately God sends forth reconciliation. Absalom, David brings Absalom back, but David says, but he can't come into my presence. Absalom, we're told, was a very good-looking man from his head to his feet. He was solid. And he began to act upon taking the throne from David. Backstabbing his father. There was even a time when ultimately David does bring him back in. There's this reconciliation that takes place. But that only fuels Absalom even more. Absalom begins to conspire and begins to be underhanded and and then does all this stuff in and of his own self to take his father's throne. And David is aware of this. And so David is now packing up and going out yet again, as he did with Saul. (laughs) He's fled. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's now back on the run, and we're picking up here as he is, is escaping chapter 15, verse 23. Oh, and let's not forget, David also sent some of his men back to Absalom to kind of remain among the chaos and the overthrow, to try to keep ear to what's going on, to report back to David. And all along, again, David is trusting God, that God, you're going to work all this out. But listen to, what, listen to now what happens as he's on the road, leaving. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kindron Valley, and they went out toward, look at this, the wilderness. Zadok and all the Levites also came along carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God and Abathar offered offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. Then the king instructed Zadok to take the Ark of God back into the city. And listen to this. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the Ark of the Tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what he seems best, I'm sorry, what seems best 
to him. Underline that verse 26. But if but if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. David is not going to use the ark of God as some religious symbol. The ark of God is not what he his hope is in. His hope is in God. And so many times, and even in our own life, we can take little trinkets, we can take religious symbols, and, and we can put more trust in them than we do our God. And we've got to be careful of that. And David said, no, take it back. My hope is in God. And whatever he, whatever he sees fit for my life, I trust him. Then the... Um, then, I'm sorry, the king, verse 27, also told Zalek the priest, Look, here is my plan. You and Abathar should return quietly to the city with your son Amos and Abathar's son Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to the city and stayed there. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. He was in deep grief over this, you all. So I don't want you to think that David was taking this lightly. Okay, whatever God wants to do with me. No, this is a deep despair. This is a deep mourning. This is a deep grief. But yet, though, he had this deep grief and he had this deep mourning. His hope was still in God. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. When someone told David that his advisor, and this guy, I'm not even going to butcher his name, was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O Lord, let this gentleman give Absalom foolish advice. When David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people were worshipped, were where people, I'm sorry, where people worshiping God, Hashia, the archite, was waiting there for him. Hashia had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. But David told him, if you go with me, you will only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor. O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Atherophel's vice. Zadok and Abathar, the priest, will be there. Tell them about the plans b- being made in the king's palace, and they will send their sons to tell me what is going on. So David's friend Hashai returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. And, and we see this. David is just in his grief, in his mourning, in his trusting in God. He's, 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 he's relying on all the God, of God's sovereignty. And in the midst of it, he's setting up a plan to ensure that he stays connected to what's happening in Jerusalem. So he's just, again, not this weak-willed man, just humdrumming, poor me, Look at what's happening to me because of my consequences. No, even in his deep grief and in his mourning, even in understanding his sovereignty of God and trusting in God, he's still using wisdom. He's still using discernment. He's still making choices 
to stay attentive to her surroundings. And a lot of times that's not what we do. We give in to despair. We give in to this. We give in to that. It's the poor me. Poor me. Look at my life. Look at my circumstances. And we're so distracted by life that we're not using wisdom. And so what I hope that we're seeing in today's lesson is that we still need to have wisdom and discernment when life isn't going our way or that we have to endure the consequences of some bad decisions that we've made. David didn't turn this in and turn it out for himself. He ultimately wanted God's plan to be established and to be in place because he's trusting in God. He knows his God. Chapter 16, when David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, the servant of Mesibabah, was waiting there for him. He had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and wineskin full of, full of wine. What are these for, the king asked Ziba. And Ziba replied, the donkeys are for the king's people to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat. The wine is for those who become exhausted in the wilderness. And where is Mesibotheth, Saul's grandson? The, king's, the king asked him. He stayed in Jerusalem, Ziba replied. He said, today I will get back the kingdom of my grandfather Saul. In that case, the king told Ziba, I give you everything Meshibatha owns. I bow before you, Ziba replied. May I always be pleasing to you, my lord, the king. And don't trust Ziba. We're going to find out later, I believe in chapter 19, that what he just told David was a lie. So again, you're going to endure life, you all. Even in the midst of circumstances that are really bad, don't always trust the people there with him. Ziba's out for his own plans, for his own purpose. He's looking to take advantage of this. So be mindful. Not everybody is in your corner. They're looking for themselves. They're looking out for themselves. As King David came to Buram, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimi, son of Gera, from the same clan of Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Now the reality is, <laughs> this man is deceived. David, there is no bloodshed on David's hand against Saul. And Saul's family. David didn't steal the throne. God gave the throne to David. The man doesn't understand God's sovereignty. God's plan. The man has no understanding of what David had to endure as he repented 
And then the prophet spoke over his life the consequences that will be upon him. This man is overreacting. So him, his, him throwing stones, him cursing David and reacting the way he's doing, he's overreacting out of emotions. But I want you to see how David handles this. Why should this dead doll curse the Lord, the king? Abishai, son of Zurah, demanded. Let me go over there and cut off his head. No, the king said, King David said. Who asks your opinion, you sons of Zurah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abishai, And to all the servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see me, will see that I am being wronged, and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept with them on the nearby hill, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. Sometimes people are going to be in your life and they're going to insult you and they're going to say things about you that aren't true. You don't have to establish your case of truth to everyone. Just keep moving. Just keep trusting. And I love what David says here. God will end up eventually blessing me as I endure this. He also understood that yet though this man didn't have it all right, God was using him. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes situations we're going to face in life are uncomfortable. And God would use these situations in our life to mature us, to grow us, and to make us even more dependent upon him. Verse 15. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem, accompanied by Erethophel. When David's friend Hoshai and the archite arrived, He went immediately to Absalom. Long live the king, he exclaimed. Long live the king. Is this the way you treat your friend David, Absalom asked him? Why aren't you with him? I'm here because I belong to the man who is chosen by the Lord and by the men of Israel, Hoshea replied. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you just as I was your father's advisor? Now I will be your advisor. Then Absalom turned to Ephiphel and asked him, what should I do next? And remember, David prayed that this guy would not have wisdom. (laughs) And so this guy told him, go and sleep with your father's concubines, for he has left them here to look after the palace. Then all of Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond hope of reconciliation, and they will throw their support to you. So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. And Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. 
Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, just as David had done. For, for every word of Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. David's throne. Absalom has stepped in. David is on the run. But God's sovereignty is in play here. And through it, we understand this, that the works of the flesh can never produce anything good. It's always exposed. Absalom, in and of himself, thought he had the right to the throne. And he has surrounded himself with those who are, who are feeding this. And the one thing I would encourage you is be careful of who you are surrounding yourself with and who you're giving your ear to. Because again, not everyone is speaking wisely for your benefit. There's always a reason behind it. But David is in the wilderness but he's trusting God. Let us us do the same thing. Again, we may have to endure the consequences of choices that we've made that does not strip God of his sovereignty. He is God. You are forgiven. But those consequences may be in play for quite some time. Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. Be mindful of who you're surrounding yourself with. Not everyone is in your life for your benefit. People are looking out for themselves. You need wisdom and you need discernment. And that's why I love that we see here with David. He's not just, he's in deep grief. He's in deep mourning. But he hasn't lost sight of God. And he hasn't became ignorant. No, he's remaining wise. He's remaining discerning. He's still living. He's still moving. He's still keeping his ear to what's happening. And we will see God bring forth what God purposed. Go to John chapter 18. Kind of long on the same lines of God's sovereignty. Jesus has been arrested. Oh, before we go to John, I wanted to look at Psalm 3. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes it's good as you're reading, especially the Old Testament. Um, it's a lot of these Psalms are birthed out of David's experience and his times of grief. And so I love Psalm 3 is actually written during the time that we just read about. It's a psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. So these words were penned by King David as he was on the road. Listen to the psalm. Oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. Oh, but look at this. Verse 3. But you, O oh Lord, ha, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds, look at this, my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I love this. Yet I woke up in safety. The Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of the 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. 
Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Oh, amen. How beautiful is that? He could have wrote a poor me, poor me, poor, poor me. Oh, but no. He recognizes God. Only you, only you and you alone can deliver me. Amen? That's a beautiful picture of of, of trusting in God's sovereignty. John chapter 18, verse 25 through 19, verse 22. See, there is a way, you all, in which we are called to live. Uh, It's to honor God. 18, verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Remember, Jesus told Peter, Peter, three times, the rooster's going to crow. There was this betrayal. Remember, Peter was all talk. But yet Peter betrayed Christ. And yet we'll see Peter restored later on. Verse 28 Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours, or in early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. I would like for you to highlight that, or at least make note of that, because it's important that that line is there. His accusers were already doing that, which is defiling them. They're lying, they're manipulating, they're religious. Remember, these are the religious leaders. They're setting everything in place for Jesus to die. And, but yet, all, all along, remember, this is God's sovereign plan. Yet though man, the created, is involved, it's all purposed by God. Jesus came for the cross. He knew what he was going to endure. In fact, I'd like for you to go to Isaiah chapter 50 real quick. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 6. This is the portion of Isaiah in chapter 50 about the Lord's obedient servant. It's prophecy concerning Christ. And... Chapter, I mean, chapter 50, verse 6, it says, The servant, which we know is Christ. I offered my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. This prophecy, this is what will happen to Jesus. Again, God's sovereign plan 
Look how Jesus, in the midst of the circumstances, he's trusting in the Father's plan. Before this, we, we've, we read in other accounts of the Gospel. John really didn't go in to, to the praying of Jesus, if you would, when he, when he was crying out, Oh God, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus knew when he came to this earth that the created will despise him. Because again, people love darkness more than the light. And yet though people, his people were expecting a Messiah, and yet the Messiah was among them and they rejected him. Jesus knew what he was going to endure to save mankind, and he endured it. This trial is not taking God by surprise. This trial is not taking Jesus by surprise. But yet in the midst of all of this, the religious people... His accusers didn't want, verse 28, the end of it, his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. How crazy is that? Religious people make no sense. They're confused. Remember, they believe their own lies and they're denying God. It's crazy. I mean... I can't even imagine. Here they are thinking that they're orchestrating all of this and somehow they're still planning to celebrate Passover and they don't want to be defiled, but yet they already stand defiled. Verse 29, So Pilate the governor went over to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. And again, it also reveals the heart of these religious people. They want Jesus dead. Then Pilate went back into his um, headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, Oh God, highlight this, circle this. Oh. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Come on, church. Ah, Are you excited about the kingdom of God? Are you a kingdom-minded Christian? Oh, how I pray that you are. His kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, oh goodness, highlight this. Circle this. Don't miss this. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Or have you recognized that what Jesus says is true? Because if you belong to him, you will. 
What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them. He's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. We're going to read verse chapter 19 through 22. And don't miss what Pilate says there. What is truth? Isn't that what we're all asking? Isn't that what the world, the lost, is seeking? To find truth. And yet Jesus says, If you would just believe my words... They are true. And we understand too that it's the truth that will set us free. Then Pilate went, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tipped whip. And don't that's from Isaiah, what we just read, 50, verse 6. And don't just be like, oh, he was whipped. No, understand the Romans didn't play. His body was ripped apart. Chunks of flesh was being ripped up out of him. Jesus is enduring a hellish beating. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hell, king of the Jews, they mocked. And look, slapped him across the face. Pilate went out again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Then the Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Listen, there's a lot of spirituality out there in the world. And Pilate, he wasn't worshiping the true God. But he had a lot of influence of false gods. And in John's gospel, he doesn't capture the fact that Pilate's wife already told Pilate, I had a dream. And she already warned Pilate not to have anything to do with this religious man. So Pilate, observing what he worships and does, realizes, wait a minute. Something's going on here. He's not seeking to the true God, but he's moving upon his, quote-unquote, spiritual understanding. He was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters, again asked him, where are you from? And I love this, but Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you. And I love Jesus' words. Then Jesus said, You have no power over me at all, unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. 
Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is, in, is, a, is a rebel against Caesar. When they say this, said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat. Make sure I didn't go too far now. Then Pilate sat. Um, I'm sorry. Then Pilate. Uh, hold on. Yeah. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform <clears throat> that is called the stone pavement. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Look at this, you all. And isn't it in the lives of people who aren't Christian? They can be spiritual people. They want nothing to do with Jesus. See, Jesus will always interrupt your plans. He's never meant to make you comfortable here on this earth. This earth, this system, this world system, the enemy who is the prince of this world, your very own nature that you're born into is in rebellion towards him. Those three things hate Jesus. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus needs to be removed. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of Skull, or Golgotha in Hebrew. They nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, don't miss this, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. And I love this. The leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no. What I have written, I have written. And Pilate had no clue that his announcement is the announcement that God has purposed for Jesus because Jesus is the king of the Jews. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 113 to 128 Again, God's sovereignty we see at play here, or at work here. And oh, how we can trust in the sovereignty of God, even when things look like they're out of control. I pray that you can find comfort in that. And if that's an area in your life, in your Christian life, that you need to mature in and grow in, well then seek Him for that growth. Psalm 119, verse 113 to 128. Again, the Psalms encourage us to keep looking up. I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word, oh listen to this, is my source of hope. 
Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I intend to obey the commands of my God. Lord, sustain me as you promise that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. But you have rejected all who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. You skim off the wicked of the earth like scum. No wonder I love to obey your laws. I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. Don't leave me to the mercy of my enemies, for I have done what is just and right. Please guarantee, please guarantee, please guarantee a blessing for me. Don't let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes strain to see your rescue, to see the truth of your promise fulfilled. I am your servant. Deal with me in your unfailing love and teach me your decrees. Give discernment to me, your servant. Then I will understand your laws. Lord, it is time for you to act, for these evil people have violated your instructions. Truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. Each of your commandments is right. That is why I hate every false way. Oh, listen to the words penned by the psalmist. To trust in the Lord's sovereignty, to know his God, to know that God is for him and not against him. And yet, though he is straining to see, his hope is still in the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 10 through 11 is where we're ending. Proverbs 16, verse 10 through 11. Two nuggets of wisdom here. The king speaks with divine wisdom. He must never judge unfairly. And finally, the Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. Oh, that we will trust in the Lord, you all. That we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our strength. That he wouldn't just be a religion. That he wouldn't just be a story in a book. That he wouldn't be just, just to show up for church. Oh, he's so much more. He's God, you all. He's sovereign. And he first loved us. And oh, how we can take comfort in that. So I'm going to close this with this last song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.
come to his word. Yes, Lord. His 